Well, good morning or good afternoon or good evening, depending on when you're actually listening to this. This is your Captain Rick Jones speaking from the bridge. I hope everyone's simply great today. We have a terrific show for you today. Firstly, we're going to dive into the critical role of FIT, that's F-I-T, in sponsorship. And then we're going to hear from Rick Ford, the president and CEO of Brainbox Intelligent Marketing. He's the founder of High School Football's Great American Rivalry Series. And we're also going to give you another great place to eat on the road with Rick. Do you know people who always seem to wear clothes that don't seem to fit them? Do you feel better and more confident when your clothes actually fit you perfectly? Well, I do, and I bet you do too. Well, corporate sponsorships also need to fit. Let me start today with a simple definition of sponsorship. Sponsorship is a cash or in-kind fee paid to a property, typically a property in sports or arts, entertainment, trade associations, conventions, and other meetings, education or charities and causes. So it's a cash or in-kind fee paid to that property in return for the exploitable commercial potential associated with that property. Let me repeat that. It's a fee paid in return for the exploitable commercial potential associated with that property. Brands want to reach the constituents that are involved with or really are passionate about the property or the event. And consumers, those are the attendees or the participants or the fans, they want corporations to provide value to their experience and support their passion and experience with the event. This is really a unique form of what we call third-party endorsement. The consumer likes the event, the brand sponsors the event, the consumer likes the brand. The rationale behind this is that sponsorship converts consumer perception by associating the target consumer or consumers with the brand through the psychology of what we call joint participation. And probably the greatest example of that is licensed merchandise. When you see people wearing shirts of their favorite team or their favorite concert, their favorite artist, they're saying, I'm a part of that. I'm a part of that. A shared experience. Our agency is called Fishbait for several reasons. Firstly, it's based on the saying, you got to fish or cut bait. That's a bias for action, for doing, for actually walking the talk. But it's also based on the thinking of you've got to bait the hook to suit the fish and not the fisherman. And that starts with fit. Fit exists when a sponsoring brand and a property and that property's fans overlap. The marketing process is pretty simple, but it's not simplistic. But it's always this process. Step number one, you identify the target audience. Who exactly do you want to talk to? Number two, you define the objectives. What do you want to say to that audience? Number three, is you select the mediums. Where and when do you want to say this? And finally, step number four is you develop the tactics. How do you want to say it? You know, the first three of those steps are all science. But the fourth, (laughs) the how, 
That's the actual art, and that's why we do what we do. Fit always starts with the audience, commonalities, and compatibility. So we're going to spend the rest of today discussing audiences. Audiences are a combination of both generations and other demographic uh, breakdowns along with psychographics. Let's start with generations. There are actually five generations in the marketplace today that we're all interested in. The first one are what we call the matures, and that's the generation that was born before 1945. They are the 74-year-olds or older. The second generation is my generation, baby boomers. Uh, They were born from 1946 to 1964. Their age is 55 to 73. The third generation in the marketplace is Generation X, 1965 to 1976. These are the 43 to 54-year-olds. The fourth generation are the millennials. They were born between 1977 and 1995, and their age is 24 to 42. And last but certainly not least is Generation Z, or the zebras. They were born from 1995 on. So those are the under-24 generation. Now, next week, when we're together, we're going to really discuss these different generations in much more in a greater detail. But audiences are also broken into other demographic groups. What's the group's ethnicity? What about their sex? What about their sexual preferences or orientations? What about their religion? How about their educational levels, their income levels? There's also things like regionalization. We always, I'm a Southerner, and we say Southerners are a little bit different than other people. We have certain values and certain uh, mores unique to our particular geographic region. But also, fans, consumers are broken down into psychographic groups. Because we find today that what you feel may be more important than the demographics. I call this passions over passports. Uh, In other words, don't define me. Don't define me demographically. Don't define me by my generation. Don't define me anyway. Because the truth is, it's not how old you are, but it's what age do you project. So all of these elements, generational differences, demographical differences, psychographical differences, all this adds up to finding the right audience for both your event or for your brand. And we're going to spend some time later talking about other things that actually affect fit. Now it's time for the Tuesday tip. And the Tuesday tip is all about the three M's. I believe that all properties are one or a combination of only three M's. You're either a message, a marketplace, or a medium. Let me give you some examples of each. All charities tend to be largely messages. They are very message heavy. Um, We have worked in the past with the American Cancer Society, which has a program called Coaches Versus Cancer. Coaches Versus Cancer um, is an 
effort by the top college basketball coaches to raise both awareness and funds for cancer research through the American Cancer Society. It came about because one of our uh, coaches, Norm Stewart, got stomach cancer at one point, and in his battle, uh, which he recovered from uh, with stomach cancer, uh, he created a program where for every three-point shot that was made, uh, there would be a donation made to Coaches Versus Cancer, and from that, we've created a lot of other uh, fundraising mechanisms. When you are a message, you must find and exploit brand attributes. All cause-related marketing uh, is pretty similar in that constituents want to know what a corporation stands for, believes in, and supports. Sponsors and consumers want to feel good about you and what you do if you're a message. Now, most events, most properties are really marketplaces. They reach certain affinity groups directly for interaction with their brands or their products. And these are the ones that we think of when we think of events, sporting events, road races, museums and zoos, conventions, any places that people gather. Um, We work uh, with the Atlantic Coast Conference, and so things like the ACC Tournament or those fans that attend our uh, Dollar General tailgate tour or those that attend places like the College Football Hall of Fame. And when you're a marketplace, you leverage how many people that your property actually directly reaches. But many properties are also mediums that provide a broader communications vehicle. These mediums are both broadcast, like television, or narrowcast, like digital or social um, networks. Um, When you are a medium, you tend to use traditional advertising messaging delivery systems in things like television, radio, internet, print, social, signage, those types of things. And some examples right now, we have the NBA playoffs going on right now, or the National Hockey League Stanley Cup playoffs, uh, the Olympic Games, uh, the Masters, the NCAA Tournament and March Madness. These are all examples of where so many more people are consuming those particular events through broadcast than are actually attending the game. But the truth is most properties are all combinations of these three M's. Here's an example from college sports, a place that we work uh, with daily. Uh, Let's take college sports as a message. Uh, It's about my school. It's about my loyalty. It's about my feeling of belonging to something. Uh, And this is all about the students, the alumni, and the fans of those particular schools. But college sports is also a marketplace. Who's actually in the stadium today? Who's in the arena? What's the attendance at these events? And finally, college sports is a huge medium. Broadcast television, everything from ESPN's college football game day to the actual broadcast of games to all of those social chat uh, that people talk about the games before or after. And probably March Madness is one of the greatest examples of that. So if you run a property, what is the weight of your three M's? How much of a message are you? How much of a marketplace are you? How much of a medium are you? And that will lead you to making decisions of how to better reach fans.
My guest angler today is Rick Ford, president and CEO of Brainbox Intelligent Marketing, a Lexington, Kentucky-based agency with a speciality of working with high school sports. Fifteen years ago, Rick's team created the Great American Rivalry Series, spotlighting some of the great high school football rivalries. He's here today to talk with us about that series and high school sports in general. Rick and I worked together years ago at Host Communications, and he's a terrific friend and one of the great minds in our industry. Without further ado, let's welcome Rick Ford to From the Bridge. Rick, it's great to have you here today from the bridge. Yeah, it's great to be here, Rick. Uh, we got a bright, sunshiny day here in Lexington, so it's everything's good. Well, I want to start with you uh, telling me how and why you created the Great American Rivalry Series. Well, it's you know every story has a story, and uh, we were in search of something. Um, we were a marketing company that started in '99, primarily in digital. And we realized that there was an on-the-ground component to marketing that we really weren't addressing. So we decided we needed to come up with some ways to do that. And we had tried several different things. And we found that it's easier to go to a crowd than it is to create a crowd. So we came up with the idea of uh, big rivalry games. And probably the, the, the driving force behind uh, going down that route was that the one thing you can count on in a rivalry game is a crowd. Um, and what we also found is regardless of records, regardless of team performances, sometimes even regardless of how long that rivalry has been going on, you can count on there being a very fervent, energetic and involved crowd at any one of these that we went to. So we started looking for them. Um, I had the opportunity to play in one of these games on Thanksgiving about 50 years ago, and I found that it's it's just an experience. It goes beyond the, the athletic competition and it permeates everything in your life. So we felt like if as a marketing platform, we could find something that did that, plus could guarantee that we had people in the stands every time we went, that would be a good way to build a marketing platform. And that's really the genesis of how we came up with the idea. You know, I'm, I'm 65 years old, but I still remember our high school rivalry. Um, I went to Avondale High School in Atlanta, and from 1950 to 1980, Avondale won more high school football games than any other school in the state of Georgia. I mean, more than Valdosta, more than Clark Central, more than anybody. But our big rival was Decatur, uh, which was the, the city next to Avondale. Uh, we didn't even call it Decatur. We just called it the high. We got to go beat the high. And so you're, you're absolutely right about how these uh, – about how these rivalries just are, are part of the fabric of a community. Tell me, tell me about some of the really fun ones you've been to. Well, we've, I've got a, a list a mile long. We've been to 860 of them so far. So, um, but the one that always jumps out because it's easy to talk about is over at Tuscola and Pisgah uh, in South Carolina. And the, 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 it's a couple of teams that are back uh, that go back a, a long way. But the thing that makes it interesting is the crowd that comes out for it. They have about 11,000 people that show up every year. Um, it's, it's everything from tailgating to, 
band competitions to this guy who actually uh, has his bear meat stew. And it's sort of a thing that everybody has to have when they go to these games. And that is the element you find in these rivalry games. There's stories, there's families, there's history, there's things that make them interesting. Theirs is, is like that every year. We also go to the Maslin-McKinley game up in, which will be played at the uh, NFL Hall of Fame stadium this year. They'll have 22,000 people. They tailgate. They have a parade through downtown Maslin and downtown McKinley. And they have tailgate that goes on for a day and a half. And then they put on one of the best events with 22,000 people looking on and good football um, on a Saturday afternoon. So uh, I could go on. I got about 20 more. Depends on how many you want to hear about. Well, they're in every state. Uh, they're in almost every community. And so there's never going to be a shortage for those great, uh, great American rivalries in, in high school football. Now, you've had the Marines as a sponsor of your event for a number of years. I know you actually started your career in the military. And this sponsorship has seemed to be really, really successful for the Marines. Uh, how so? Well, you know, it's it's really a marketing. Um, you're you're well-versed in that field and you understand. But you have to go where the, the potential for the things they're trying to accomplish will take place. And one of the things they try to accomplish is to talk to young men and women who might be considering the military as a career. And what we like to say is we allow them to start those conversations. And we've been successful for them and, and uh, several other sponsors starting conversations around their products or services. But for the Marines, it's been very effective in that the, the I think the traditions and the uh, all the things that go around a rivalry game line up very well with the military and the things that they believe in and the tra- traditions they hold. And so matching those two together um, came together easily. And the Marines, um, they're, they're superstars. By the time the night's over, um, they're, the, they're the most well-known people in the stadium. And, and I give them as much credit to that as us. Well, y'all actually start earlier in the week with an element that you do with the Marines with the, the, the pull-up challenge. Talk, talk a little bit about that. That's a, that's a really cool activation. Well, you know, they have this national chin-up challenge, and what, it, what we found is, again, if you go back to the idea of a rivalry, uh, these schools will, will be rival, rivalries around anything. Um, but So we said, you know what, why don't we have a chin-up challenge between the two schools, see who can do the most, and what we do is we go into one school one day and have a chin-up challenge during the lunch period, give the kids a chance, and we count every chin-up. Then we go over to the other school the next day and we say, okay, these guys just did a thousand chin-ups over there. Let's see what you can do. Um, And it gives another element to the rivalry week and it it puts the Marines out there trying to uh, help each individual school perform as well as they possibly can. And then we continue that at the game on Friday night and it runs all the way up until halftime. And then at the end of the third quarter, we announce the big winner and, and they get a trophy and, there's a lot of you know applause and and it's it's good to win, and they they love winning this chin-up challenge. Well, let's talk a little bit more about high school sports. You know, we both believe that high school sports sponsorships are undervalued, and could be a great place today for brands. Uh, why do you, why do you think that? Well, you know, both of us come from the college marketing uh, world, and we've seen it evolve over over the years. Um, I think the same things that attracted us to collegiate sports 30 years ago are, are prevalent now in high school. 
high school has become much more sophisticated. I think a lot of kids um, and parents are doing things. And that's the thing you have to understand. It is the collegiate market just four years earlier. It's the same people, really. They're sports fans with, with players in, on the field and kids in the stands and alumni all around them. And so I think what the opportunity is, it's actually a larger audience, but it's more diverse. It's spread out more. And so the, the, the key to the high school market, I think, is aggregation of that audience in some meaningful way. Um, but I really think it's the sports platform of the future. It still allows you to integrate yourself into a community in ways that you, you know, it's just phenomenal in some of the places we go to how how we're able to become part of the fabric of what's going on the difference the only difference that i can see in them is like i said you have to go to more places to get the same size audience but you know there's seven million high or almost eight million now high school athletes and all their families around it we estimate that market to be somewhere north of 75 million when you add all that together and that's a, that's a market that has reach and it has needs and it has the same sorts of things that we found in the collegiate marketplace. And the only missing factor has been the ability to aggregate, which is what I think this social media expansion and what's going on in that's, that world, the digital world, is going to correct. Well, you know, a lot of times people want to have a cumulative audience like in the Super Bowl, but the truth is if you had touch points to every high school event – you got staggering numbers. I mean, it, this is scalable. Um, you know, we laughed the other day. Somebody said that basketball, collegiate basketball, regular season ra- ratings were down. And I was like, I don't think so. You turn on your TV and there are 19 games. If you added up all the audiences of all 19 of those games, you got a pretty, you know, enormous cumulative average. So scale is your issue, but I think you are going to be able to overcome this with digital and social reach. That's absolutely right. You know, we have historically gone to around 100 games every year, physically on the ground, activated 100 games, which means we were inside 200 schools every fall. This year, and this has been evolving over the last three years, but this year we're going to be in contact with a minimum of 1,000 schools, I mean 1,000 games, which is 2,000 schools, and could be as many as 13,000 schools this season. And all of that scalability has come about through our digital reach. We have a partnership with ScoreStream, which is going to allow us to give real-time scores. Now, listen to this. Real-time scores as they occur at 13,000 events every week. So when you start having that kind of aggregation and that ability to reach that number of audience um, and to touch them, uh, I think what you have now is a platform that can, uh, can answer those questions about how do you scale something like this that's, that's spread out? And social and digital seems to be the answer. Well, one of the things I like to remind brands and, and you know, brand managers is, is the ability to uh, not only reach an audience, but to deliver value back to that audience. Uh, in many cases, uh, high schools and extracurricular activities, are, they're having you know, state budget cuts, and, and, you know, brands can bring resources that help schools, I think, in a, in a unique way um, and can become a real hero. Uh, the, the other thing is we've talked about is, you know, it's, it's not only the, the young, impressionable high school students, it's their parents that, yeah, that, that participate with them in a real wholesome kind of activity. 
Well, you know, I was thinking about that too. You know, when, when you say collegiate marketing, uh, people think of the holistic idea of every, everybody that watches sports in the, at the collegiate level participates in it, has anything to do with it. Somehow when you start talking about high school, they think we're only talking about the kids on the field and it isn't that it's the whole community around it. And it has a tremendous impact if you can aggregate all of that. And I think that's one of the opportunities out there is to, is the way you think of, uh, this audience, because, you know, as you said, I mean, the brands are going to become their brands for life. Um, and I, you know, when we got into college marketing, that was the big, that's what's going to happen. They're going to make all their decisions in high, in uh, college. Well, I think they're making it sooner. And I think we're sitting right there to help those brands make that connection. And, you know, one of the things that, that helps the, the idea of high school sports is it is a community driven event. And I think that support by the brands is often well rewarded. In fact, we have some statistics that say that the people who sponsor high school sports um, get get more than that in return in, in the loyalty from the parents and fans that, that attend those games. So there's a lot of links there for the business community and a lot of opportunities for brands, we think, to really expand who they are and be visible and at the same time support some of these activities for these kids because they are struggling to to meet their financial needs well i i I believe that we're going to see tremendous growth um in high school sports sponsorships over the next decade and i think you guys are going to be right on the cutting edge of doing that Uh, i wanted to thank you pal for coming on today uh and uh, sharing a little bit about uh, the great american rivalry series and high school sports in general all right ladies and gentlemen that's rick ford thanks for being with us yeah thanks for having me rick We'll close today's session with our On the Road with Rick feature. Hey, before we talk about a specific restaurant, I used to be a college basketball coach and recruited prospective players in a variety of cities and communities. And I'd often show up in a strange city, in a strange gym, in a strange location, um, and really didn't know where to eat. My dad, uh, who was also a police officer early in his career and uh, was a federal investigator, He told me to always stop by the police station when I got to that town. He said, go in and introduce yourself to them. Tell them that you're here to recruit a specific player and ask them where they eat. He said, cops are always going to steer you in the right direction of a great place to eat that's not going to break the bank. Today's featured restaurant is from right here in Charleston, and it's a place that is often full of police officers, too. And that's Rodney Scott's Barbecue. Rodney Scott is a pit master. He's a true giant in the art of barbecue. He grew up working and learning his craft at his parents' barbecue place in Hemingway, South Carolina, and he recently opened his own place here in Charleston. Rodney Scott's barbecue has lots of great items, things like beef brisket or catfish. But the star of his restaurant is his whole hog pulled barbecue pork. Either on a bun or on a plate, you can't go wrong. They've also got great sides here. Hand-cut fries, coleslaw, mac and cheese, sweet tea. All that adds up to a memorable meal. Try it the next time you're here in Charleston. So that's our show for today. We'll see you next time on From the Bridge.
This has been your captain, Rick Jones, from The Bridge. If you like what you hear, please share, subscribe, and leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast directory.